eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back, everybody. Another edition here at the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. I'm joined today by our publisher, Ronnie Sanders, and Coach's Corner once again with former Auburn defensive coordinator, Ellis Johnson. Ellis, this is, uh, I know you spent a lot of time in Mississippi during your coaching career. You know, you were a DC at Mississippi State not long before you got to Auburn. So, you know, we were talking about it on the, the show here a couple weeks ago, but you said you really liked working and, and living in Starkville. I guess, how would you compare those uh, those couple of jobs and uh, and living and working there? Yeah, we did. We had a, uh, it was the first place we lived as a family. All three children were born and we, we liked the church. We liked the neighborhood. We just, there were a lot of things that made it a real nice place to live. And we actually got the program turned around after the first couple of years and had it going in the right direction. The last two years, you know, were fun in the football arena too. But, uh, there are a lot of people make jokes about Stark Vegas and, and, uh, I guess how uh, country it is or whatever. And the only thing that we found is that sometimes you felt like you were a little isolated because it wasn't really close to much. Uh, and living in Auburn, you know, you jump on the interstate, you're in Atlanta before you can blink. And uh, it was just a little bit more convenient. We loved Auburn also as a community. But uh, yeah, we had a great time in Starkville and actually ended up having some good days on the football field. Yes, I remember when uh, he was a lot smaller then, though, when when I was at Auburn, Pete Jenkins, we hired him from Mississippi State. And I said, well, what's what's the difference between uh, or what's the what's similar? What's the same? A lot of people say it's the same. And he says, well, they're both the, uh, they're both small. And he said, that. <laughs> but he Starkville was a lot smaller then than it is now. So and that, and I felt they were a lot different. I don't know. I mean, Auburn had grown quite a bit by the time I moved there. I'm sure it probably has more. But uh, you know, we we didn't really have a mall in in Stark Vegas. It was you went to Tupelo, and it wasn't a great mall. It was decent, but you know, if you you 
put Tiger Town Mall over in Starkville, it it will look like the Chick Fil A line lined up every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk to us about this week. What are your uh, what should we look for? I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear you. I said, t- talk to us about this week, Auburn and Mississippi State. What do you uh, what do you think you should look for? Yeah, I think it's a it's kind of a it's not an important game, you know, when you look at the conference and the, of course the standings and all that. But I think it, you know, it could be critical for both teams to get those six wins. And uh, State has just been winning ball games when they do win in, in unusual ways. Uh, they they kind of got the uh, quarterback, Rogers, handcuffed early in the year, and then they got him hurt. They go over and they win a game last week in uh, Arkansas and, and kind of unconventionally. They, they did play good defense, but uh, – I don't know. This is kind of a hard team to figure out. Now, Auburn, on the other hand, is not a hard team to figure out. But, you know, it's obvious Hugh doesn't have his quarterback yet. And everybody's seen his teams. He knows how to coach offense. So, obviously, they've got some shortcomings in personnel. I think it could be a heck of a game. Uh, I do think Auburn's got a little bit better football team. And I think that the biggest thing I've been impressed with the way he has handled this situation uh, they haven't won a whole bunch of ball games, but they haven't been totally out of any ball game. And I think it's because of the way he's been managing it, the way he's playing to his defense and, and not, you know, putting the ball in the quarterback's hands too much in critical situations where they get them beat. So, you know, having them at home, that's going to be a huge advantage too. So I, I really think Auburn's got a, a heck of a lot better shot to win this thing than Mississippi State does, but certainly they can't, they can't sleepwalk. Or they'll they'll get beat. Yeah, I guess this has the opportunity to be a pretty defensive game. I mean, it might be first one to fourteen, first one to seventeen wins yeah. the game. Or were those were those the kind of matchups you enjoyed as a coordinator when when it was just kind of a defensive game? No, I liked when they were about fifty to nothing at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what coach would be honest in telling you that they love coaching one of these one point games, you know, that, that goes the whole way because you, every play, you know, when you have a game like that, every play might be the one that breaks your back. And uh, when you've got a bunch of 18 to 20 year olds out there, you, you know what can happen. And although some of it never does happen, it's in the back of your mind the whole time. But uh, yeah, I, I obviously looking back on games, you know, like we, we beat Alabama one time over at State and uh, ran an interception back about 99 yards right before the half, and we ended up winning a real close game. And it's great to look back at them. It's fun to remember them. But when you're involved in them, it's nerve-wracking. Well, you, you got me fired when you were at Mississippi State. Do you remember? <laughs> well, well I, we got a complex over there. We got everybody fired. We we looked up at the end of the season. I think we won like five ball games, and three people we beat got fired. I said, guys, you know they don't they don't think very much of us. Every time we beat somebody, they fire the damn coach. <laughs> well, you but, have you know, we beat we beat Orgeron. They fired Ed. We beat y'all. They fired Zucker. Uh, who was the other one? We had another win, and they fired the coach. We were kind of like, why, why can't we win? And everybody think we should have won. <laughs> Shoot, you, yeah, y'all beat us on Saturday, and we were. Ron walked in on Monday morning. And he says, "Well, boys, they're pulling the plug." <laughs> <laughs> well, that one was a little unusual because I mean we were ugly at that time. 
Sly actually came in. I don't remember if it was an open date, but it, he came in after we, I don't know if it was Maine or who we played right before you guys, but we couldn't get out of our own way. And he said, we've got to simplify. And I said, coach, we can, but I said, we got to get more speed on the field. Some of these kids think they're great corners. Uh, the, the kid comes to mind is Culberson. And we moved him from corner to outside linebacker, and he had a pick the first series for a touchdown. But he, we just had some guys there that thought they were better than they were, and we finally just made a, a wholesale adjustment. So I don't know if it was a factor, but when y'all came into the game, we weren't even in the same defense we'd been in for three weeks prior. And uh, But, yeah, it was a crazy game. That was – I don't know if you even paid any attention to it, but – we started the game. I think there were like 20,000 people there. And by the time it ended, a bunch of the students must have heard at halftime we had a chance to win. So they came over. I think by the time it was over, we had like 35,000. Yeah, we, we had a rough uh, – I think we lost – I think we lost Ole Miss in Gainesville and we lost Ole Miss in, uh, in Oxford. We were there three years, and I think we lost them twice. And then losing to, losing to Mississippi State finally put them over the edge, I guess. But Ole Miss had some players at that time. I'm telling you, we couldn't beat them on anybody in state. We'd get one or two every year. But uh, Ed was doing some, some powerful recruiting there. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Ellis, when you, uh, when you look at this Mississippi State team, I think a lot of people, maybe a common question when a quarterback is injured, you don't know whether he's going to play, talking about Will Rogers. At least a common question you know, we hear in the media is to players and coaches, well, how do you prepare for two, for two different quarterbacks? As a yeah. defensive coordinator, how much stock do you put into that? How, how much? What does that look like over the course of a week? If, hey, a guy who's a little bit more of a runner, you know he's available to play, but the other guy you know, might not be able to go on Saturday. It's hard, and especially if they're different type players. And I have to confess, I did not see him play last week. I saw very little of it, I think right near the tail end of the game. So I'm not that familiar with the kid. They've already had a situation the whole season where I feel like they haven't used Rodgers in the most effective way they can. You know, they haven't been in a good throwing offense. And although you can't just uh, wake up one morning and call a game the same way Mike Leach does, I mean, he's very unique. If you watch the plays, they're plays that a lot of other people run. But that's not the thing about it. The thing about it is how he manages the game and how he sets things up and how he teaches his quarterback and how to read through things and get the ball out of his hands, et cetera. And when you don't have him and he's been doing the whole thing, I don't fault Zach for making a, a change, but I think they went almost cold turkey. And they just – the kid really can't help him win when he was healthy. So he's just been managing ball games too, and, and from what I've seen. So I don't know how much difference it'll be if they're different physically. That that can affect it. It really can. I, but I don't. I don't expect Rogers to play. And if he does, I don't expect him to be full speed. I I would prepare for you know for the possibility both of them could play. But uh, I think the biggest thing you know is Auburn's got to find a way to move the ball a little bit better, and they've had a hard time. I think that's going to be the key. I think they would do very well on defense against Mississippi State, and as you mentioned earlier. It's not going to get into who has the football last, you know, in some kind of shootout. It's going to be a very close ball game. Not a lot of scoring. Turnovers will be paramount or some crazy thing in the kicking game. So that I wouldn't be as much concerned about the quarterback at State as I would my own quarterback. 
how do you manage two quarterbacks? I'm not sure. I mean, I know when you know Spurrier used to rotate quarterbacks in and out when he was at Florida, but I'm not sure what he did what he, what he did at South Carolina when you were there. But have you ever experienced that? I mean, rolling rolling one in, rolling the other one out. And- yeah, I mean, I was here with him when it was happening, and it, it wasn't because we didn't have two kids that were, you know, we couldn't they couldn't beat each other out. We just had some guys that when I first got here, uh, Stephen was going through some disciplinary stuff and had not played in the previous spring. And so he wasn't ready to play in the fall. And he was just competing with some guys who couldn't carry his, I mean, they, they weren't close to him talent wise, but we ended up starting a player in the first ball game against NC state. He didn't make it past the third series and they pulled him out and he never played there again. Uh, you know, one of the smelly kids ended up over at Alabama. Uh, he, he came in and he played okay. But, I mean, it, we I think we went through four quarterbacks that first year I was here with him. And it was more or less just trying to find somebody that could function. And it was very, obviously, a very unusual thing for a guy like Steve Spurrier. And, he you know, we got through it. And, and you know, I think we went to the Outback Bowl. But uh, the next year, Stephen – was back he started playing a little bit better and then we had connor shaw behind him and the year when connor came in and was 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 competing and and challenging him for the job he did work both of them a little bit and again it wasn't that he was trying to do something strategically he was just trying to find the guy that could manage the game and make plays you know on that particular day if you're hugh freeze and you're trying to marry two offenses so you've got an offensive coordinator that you really don't know. And you got terminology, and you're trying to marry those two things. And you've been and you've been the primary play caller. How do you? And you're midseason now, and it's it's a little bit of a mess on offense. What do you do? How do you manage that? Well, I, I frankly I think he's managed it pretty well. And if, I mean, if you just go back, they're statistically they're not flashy, obviously, but they're not turning the ball over too much, and that's why. I, you know, record-wise, they're sitting there right in the bottom of the West uh, with with State as far as, you know, I don't think they've got – I mean, excuse me, with Arkansas. But they're playing better football than those other teams are. And that doesn't help you. When you come in that locker room after a game, you still got to hang your psychiatrist sign up and try to pick them up off the floor because those kids, just like anybody else, they think they can beat anybody on any given Saturday. And so – it doesn't matter who you lost to or how well you played through some things. It's no fun. But I do think – I mean, I think he's done the best he can do. Uh, the biggest thing is we've got to get a quarterback in there. And I, I'm not saying the other guys are not decent players, but they're not going to be able to play in that level, in that league, uh, in the throwing game. They're just not getting any production. I mean, I was looking the other day, and the, the guy had a great percentage – of completions, but they didn't let him throw it 17 times. Now, what's that tell you? They're managing him. They're making sure that he can't do, he can't have three plays a game that just break your back. And so, you know, they're in that ball game with Ole Miss. Ole Miss, third best ranked offense in the conference right now. They may be the best offense other than maybe LSU, but statistically, they're third best. And they help them down pretty good. While they can't effectively you know, score points. So I think they're doing everything they got to do to try to win ball games. And it's not fun because they're not winning their share, but they get a win this week. I think they're easily two more to three on the, on the schedule and they're getting a bowl game. 
and that's the first step in the right direction and get about four or five key players in there and another good recruiting class and you're back on track. Now you lose this one or you lose at Arkansas and you get upset by somebody you shouldn't, then it's, it's hard. And if they don't get to a bowl game, it could be a, a you know, really a tough climb, but all they got to do this year is get in a bowl game and play well and, and have a good recruiting class. And I think you're over the hump and you got it going. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. How much of a difference does that make? I mean, just getting that first win. If you're in some sort of a losing rut, and I know Auburn's played a bunch of good teams. It's not like they should be ashamed of losing to three straight top 15 teams. But you mentioned getting a win on Saturday, especially with the schedule being kind of favorable down the stretch. That's something players talked about a lot yesterday. They said, hey, if we can just get one win, we feel like we can build momentum. How much have you seen that over the course of your career, did you see that maybe make a difference for a team that was in a bit of a losing streak? Yeah, it's it's huge. I think I'm just looking for my schedule. They've lost four in a row now. And I, one thing I go back to is that win out of Cal. I mean, hardly anybody saw it. It was at night on the West Coast, and they went a 14-10 to 10 ball game. And I thought to myself right then, just seeing what kind of team they were, I said, this is going to be huge in about two months. And it, it may be because they could have easily lost that ball game and it didn't. And I think that says a lot about the team, coaches, staff, et cetera. Now you lose four ball games in a row. Well, the biggest thing this is going to do is it's going to tell him what kind of locker room he's got. I use that term for, you know, team camaraderie. Are they pulling together? Are they pointing fingers or what? You got some guys don't want to play with a broke finger. You got some guys that don't want to play because they're, ankles a little sore or you got a bunch of guys who's going to fight through tell you a lot about your coaching staff and all that so you know i haven't seen any signs of any negativity on all that and i think it's going to be important though soon with four losses in a row and i don't care who they were i mean it matters to us because we can look and see with common sense they weren't as good as those teams but that's like i said earlier when you come in that locker room after you get your rear end kicked it doesn't matter who you lost to. Players are competitors, and it bothers them. And so he's got a tough job. 
But I, I do think if they get that first win, the, the biggest thing I can equate it to when I was set it as a head coach, and the, they had not won a game the year before. I think the year before that, they won two. So, you know, about anything you did, the kids couldn't challenge you because they, they, they had not won a game. So that part wasn't hard. But after about the third week, we came in and we still didn't have a win. We finally beat South Carolina State. And we ended up winning about three or four games that year just because they finally got, got some confidence. So I've seen it happen to kids. And, uh, I mean, one of those losses was Georgia Tech. Another one was Wyoming. We shouldn't even been able to be on the field with them. But they still hurt after the game. And until we won that ball game against South Carolina State, they weren't totally buying in. So I think it'll help them tremendously. And you back that up, what you got Vandy and then Arkansas and, and New Mexico State. I mean, those are teams that they might be better than right now. We talked about the talent gap a little bit. How do you mismanage a roster the way that uh, the way that Harson did the past two years before? I mean, you know, you look at recruiting rankings and you look at all those things and we've talked some about, you know, uh, we've talked some about it, but I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to, if you look back at, you know, since, since Dye was hired, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to, to, uh, I mean, and look, there are times Auburn can't get out of its own way, but it's pretty hard to screw it up as bad as he did. Well, I think, I think it was two things. The number one, as y'all said it, he wasn't a great fit. And so I don't think immediately everybody jumped on board and got behind him. And then it, then it flips on you. Uh, and the other thing is there was good, pretty good talent when he came in the door, but it wasn't maybe exactly what he wanted to try to do. And then you lose a guy like Bo Nix and everybody's thinking, well, he didn't really knock the top out of it. So I don't guess it's a great loss. He goes out in another system. And they talk about him being in the Heisman voting. So, you know, you it's easy to second guess all that kind of stuff. You know, we took over at Alabama in 1990, and we lost the first three ball games. But the people at Alabama wanted him there. I mean, he was like – he was Paul Bryant 2.0 in, in his, his reputation, his mannerisms, the way he looked at football, and what they thought he felt about the university – we weren't playing as well as Bill Curry was, but the, but the fan base had flipped over behind us. And when we go out on the road recruiting, we were having success. And uh, thank God for Vanderbilt. We had, I think we had them the fourth game, and we got it turned around. So if Auburn can't beat State, they can get Vandy next week. They've helped a lot of us get out of the, get out of the ditch. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, it's crazy to look back that uh, like the series is actually tied between Auburn and Vandy all time. It's 21, 21 and one because before like the sixties, Vandy won a, tw- won a ton of games. I think Auburn's won like 15 of the last 17. So in the modern era, it's been, it's been no contest. How, how bizarre is it Ellis that next year Auburn's not playing either of the Mississippi schools. It's the first time since 1932 that they're not going to play either of them in the same season. Wow. I guess just, yeah, you know, it's been such a, you know, that Mississippi and Alabama are obviously so close by. It's been such a staple for these programs for so long. How bizarre is it that they're not, not only not Mississippi state, they're not going to play Ole Miss next year either. That's crazy. I, I, you know, it's all this expansion. Uh, I remember when we first 
when we got to Alabama, you know, Coach Spurrier came in, I think Florida the same year, in 90. But, you know, eventually we were the two best teams in the, in the SEC for a few years and didn't have much history of playing each other, although they were in the same conference. Uh, so there are a lot of things like that. You go back through it historically. But, uh, you know, I don't like to see it. I, I kind of like the whole reason conferences were formed to begin with is because geographically it helped them schedule each other and save money on travel. And, you know, money was a big thing back in the, in the earlier days when they start formulating conferences and stuff. Then they all had ideas, you know, we ought to all be somewhat similar on admissions because we don't need to have, you know, teams playing Harvard, playing uh, Valdosta State or whatever. I mean, a lot of the reasons why conferences were formed, it's gone. And the almighty dollar is running the show now. And it has for a little while. Uh, and ain't nothing wrong with money. I mean, you got to have it to have success in a lot of things in life. But when you make it your single focus, there are going to be some other things along the way that are going to suffer. And I, I think there are a lot of things in college football we're going to live to regret about all this stuff. And I think one thing fans are already tired of is what you're talking about. They see natural rivals and things like that. They see them just disappearing. And they, although they, you know, they may play eventually, they're not going to play regularly. And I mean, people over in South Carolina, certainly South Carolina doesn't have any kind of major history or anything, but playing Georgia has always been a big deal to South Carolina fans. And the series, although it's lopsided, the games have been pretty doggone good. And there, there are a lot of things like that. I think that I don't think they're going to end up playing Tennessee for like four years or something like that. So it's, it's bothering a lot of fan bases in a lot of places, people I talk to. And I, I just hate to see it. I'm kind of a traditionalist. I mean, I don't even like the playoffs. So <laughs> y'all know I'm, I'm out left field. I just wish they'd left it out and had not had playoffs. I, I liked it when the, Played the bowls after after the rankings because the bowls were just a, a good fun trip. But those days are long gone. That bus is left the station. <laughs> it's 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 um, college football is different, obviously now that. Yeah, and not to, not to backtrack too much. When you were talking about how did it mismanage a roster, I you know. If I was a head coach tomorrow, I might go hire somebody in a major league baseball program to come in and run my football roster. I don't know how they keep a roster together anymore with the portal. Uh, you know, losing kids, gaining kids, and all that. But I, that doesn't help when you're trying to stabilize a roster when you move in as a new coach. And uh, you got kids, they don't dislike you, but they didn't sign with you. Mm-hmm. And they may play a year, but as soon as they get the first opportunity to go somewhere equal or better, they take off, you know, and, and you weren't counting on it. So I think that's a factor in managing these rosters too, obviously. I was talking to a couple of guys, a couple of coaches out of Colorado this week, and, it, you know, one of, the, one of them said, he said, you know, he said, it's, it's the same thing. He said, it's hard, to, it's hard to hold a team together. It's hard to build camaraderie when those guys haven't been in the locker room together. He said, the same thing is, he said, you know, they won one game here last year. He said, so I, I wouldn't do anything differently. He said, you know, we got 60-something new players, um, and it's hard to hold together, he said, but we're still better than we would have been if we hadn't flipped it. That's a, that's a good point. But, but I mean, that, that was something I told somebody very early in the season 
the thing that impressed me the most about Colorado is the way they were executing on the football field. And I'm thinking, how the heck do you bring about 50 or 60 of these guys that are playing a lot? They just got there in the spring. Some of them didn't get there till the summer. And they look like they've been playing together for two years. I was, I was very impressed with it. But that's not your locker room always. You know, you, you can be executing great out on the field or you can be doing poorly out on the field. And it's not necessarily an indicator of how good your locker room, what kind of shape your team morale and, like you said, the glue that holds them together and all that. Usually when you're winning big, you know, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you'll have some knucklehead go do something stupid and distract the team from a big game. But most of the time, those things kind of magnify when you when you lose. And so now they've probably got a little bit of it going on out there. And this is where Dion's going to find out what coaching really is. Well, no doubt. And, you know, you were talking a little bit earlier about the rivalries disappearing. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, Oklahoma and Nebraska and loved watching those kinds of games. I mean, they played every year and it was fun to watch. I mean, you know, if you look back before, before the SEC split into divisions, Auburn rarely played LSU. They played once in a while. Um, right. But they played, uh, you know, Auburn played Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida. You know, if you remember, played Tennessee early, and then Amen Corner was Florida, Georgia, Alabama at the end of the year, and uh, completely different animal now. Now you've got Georgia earlier in the season, and and uh, you know next year you you uh, you don't play you don't play the Mississippi schools. So it's and I don't I don't believe Auburn plays LSU next year either, do they, Nathan? I mean, so lot lot I different thing the other day, and. Uh just kind of curious about South Carolina and uh, I didn't really study them all that closely. I, I think it's uh when I look at it, I was thinking, man, if I was coach, I'd be so excited. Some of these teams, they're going to get to play every year. But then all of a sudden, when you look at it from the fan standpoint, I mean, I grew up in South Carolina, but I'm not a big time South Carolina Gamecock fan who's been donating to the scholarship club for 30 years. These people, are, and it's that way at every school. They, you know, they really care about things like that. And they got buddies and old, you know, people they've known or worked with on the other side. And it's kind of a, it's a big deal. And I think what you're going to see overall, you're going to see less people at the stadiums and more people, uh, you know, if they're learning how to stream like I did two weeks ago. <laughs> they're going to start watching on the tube, man. And I, they're just not going to go to the stadium to watch some of these teams play. I, I think it's going to affect the Big Ten. I think some of these West Coast teams come over to play or the East Coast team go over to play. I don't think you're going to have anybody travel. And, and I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of home team people go. I tend to agree, especially, I mean, I think the SEC is a little bit different uh, because yep. Texas and Oklahoma, they at least kind of fit the profile. But, I mean, if you're talking about who's going to go watch Washington play Rutgers. I mean, right. And the ACC's already had that issue. I mean, nobody's going down from Boston to watch Miami. And nobody's going from rabid Miami to go up to Boston. You know, right. they're just not going to do it unless it's just one special trip that they've never seen the place before. But you're not going to get you're not going to get fans. I know I, we've had games here at Carolina, and these damn people show up from LSU, and they'd, they'd be about – if we could get 15,000 of them in there, there would probably be 40,000 in Columbia. And they're out at the buses and wherever else they can, but they're going to be around it. And they're going to, 
you know, they're going to the games, even if they can't get a ticket to get in the stadium. I don't think you're going to see that in other conferences that much. I agree with you. And I think, you know, I haven't been up to Missouri. I probably need to go. I think I've been everywhere else in the conference except there. But um, just talking to people, it, it, it doesn't seem like that uh, the culture really fits there. That doesn't seem like it's the same as it is at A&M or, or Texas or Oklahoma um, and some of the other SEC schools. Um, it, it is a little different. And the first time I went out there, I was with Clemson. Uh, it was just a non-conference game. And they had a good quarterback. I think his dad was a coach. And they beat us. And we had a decent team that year. Uh, so they've always played good football. You know, they've got some big-time history. Go back to the Big Eight. And they, they win the Orange Bowl uh, many years, you know, representing the Big Eight. Uh, not more, not like Oklahoma. But, but uh, yeah, I think they, they, they don't have that atmosphere. But it's it's SEC football and it's it's an SEC attitude. I don't know how well they travel. I've never really paid much attention to it. And then of course we've been back out there, probably between the other the different teams I've coached on in the SEC. And then of course we had to play them to win the SEC that 2013. You know when we were at Auburn, and they had a heck of a football team. But uh, and I think Eli's got a heck of a team out there this year. Uh, but it's a little different. You know, they don't have 100,000 people there, and they don't have quite the, you know, the uh, number of people out there and those buses and everything else that, you know, just flood the place. Yeah, I think Eli's probably done better job than most putting the putting the money where his mouth is, or I guess in reverse, because he got that extension when they were, you know, about a 500 program under him, and now they're having his best season there at Missouri. And so, well, yeah, I, think- I mean, Auburn goes there next year. Maybe maybe you'll make the trip then. I think the thing there, Nathan, I think you made a good point, is, you know, the AD believed in him and gave him him time. And I think, you know, sometimes having a little bit of patience and allowing guys to work through things, uh, patience at this particular point in time in college football, any kind of football is not real real popular. But sometimes giving a guy a chance to kind of build a program, get his feet under him, uh, especially somebody who hasn't been a head coach before, um, and really believe it in him and, and giving him a chance pays off. And it looks like it's paid off for Missouri. Absolutely. Uh, the, the things that jump out at me is his quarterback development, and they look better up front. Because I'm going to tell you now, those two years went back to back, played in the SEC championship game. Their defensive front could play with anybody, uh, they were destructive. And, and, uh, they had some players that could play anywhere in that league. And then it kind of went a little bit down, in my opinion. And uh, they weren't as good up front on either side of the ball. But they've had some players out there that could, you know, could make big-time SEC plays anytime. Uh, I think Eli, you know, if I were an AD, I'd try to evaluate recruiting and the discipline and then see what, the, you know, the, the games look like as far as you know, they are they making terrible decisions or are the kids not, you know, they're not focused. And you can tell those things usually. And I think when you see those things, just what you said, patience will pay off. And it does come a time, though, in this microwave, uh, microwave situation we're in with all this portal stuff. You can't you can't take five years to turn it. You got to get you got to get something flipped within two seasons whether it's a great recruiting class or something, you know, that you can see, hey, we found what we got to build on. 
that we can get this thing going. You got to have some kind of a sign because if not, it just starts to snowball back the other way. I think that's that's a lot of what happened with Harson. I mean, he came in and you know the recruiting wasn't great. He didn't he didn't do a great job with the boosters and um, and then the product on the field continued to to deteriorate. And before you know it, it had gotten away from him. So, I mean, obviously hindsight, but I mean, with with Bo Nix leaving. It was it was a it was a bad situation, not just from losing a good potential good player, but you know, dad had played there, he played there, it's an Auburn family. Why the hell is he leaving? Mm-hmm. You know, something there's gotta be something other than they don't run the right fast routes and I don't like it. You know, it's not normal for to lose a kid like that. I know uh North Carolina, the May kid, what people were they said they were hitting on him all through the off season. And one or two literally tried to buy him to get him to leave North Carolina because he you know, kind of down a little bit. He weren't playing that well. And he's, but he's a North Carolina family. He's got an uncle and a dad and I think a cousin. They've all played major sports there in the last several years. And he wasn't leaving North Carolina. And it, that's when I saw him leave, I thought that's a little bit unusual. I, I didn't, you know, it just didn't seem right to me. Well, and, it, you know, <clears throat> I think we all, we all know Alan Green went rogue and hired Harson without <clears throat> without the approval of a lot of people that, that really mattered. And um, you know, when when with a new president, new athletic director, um, Auburn's in a much better position now than you know than it was two years ago. But um, on the football field, it's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take a little bit of patience. Yeah, and that's the and you talked about LSU some sort of some sort of turning point you have to have. Early on, I think Freeze hopes that it'll be recruiting. I mean, they they jumped ahead in the 2025 class. Um, they've got the number four class in the country right now, which that's not, you know, there's not a lot of volume to that. But Christian and Jason, you know, seem to think they can get a top 10 class in 2024. But you mentioned Bo Nix. It's interesting to look back at how things spiraled the last time Mississippi State came here. Auburn blew a 25-point lead in that game. Bonix breaks his ankle and is out. If you look at the – that was pretty much the beginning of the end, and that was pretty much everything that's happened since then has sort of crippled the program. I think they're 2-13 and 13 in the SEC since then. They have three Power 5 wins since then. You're, you're, like you said, your Heisman quarterback who's now doing that somewhere else left the program. And so um, it's crazy to see everything that's happened since that game. So maybe, maybe now the Mississippi State comes back to their building, maybe they can – Turn it the other way with a with a win on Saturday and start to have things looking up a little bit. Yeah, I, I think getting to a bowl game, I'm not going to say it's absolutely necessary, but it will be a huge, huge plus because you know as many bowl games as there are these days, if you don't go to one, somebody you're recruiting is hearing that in their ear constantly when you're not talking to them. The other people are using it on you. And, you know, that just is something that's kind of a little measuring stick. Oh, you think they've got it turned? Well, they didn't even get in a bowl game. And so other recruiters are going to be using that. And then the other thing, which, of course, I'm not, you know, I don't have any experience with it, but I think using the portal is absolutely critical too. And you don't have to go get 30 players, you know, but getting three or four key players through the portal, I think is very important also. Yeah, and it's interesting. Yesterday, like I didn't, I maybe didn't expect a couple veteran Auburn players on defense 
talking about how important it is to get to a bowl game, like how badly they want to go to a bowl game. And sometimes I think there's a stigma that players don't necessarily care about it, but both of them said, look, we haven't won a bowl game since I've been at Auburn. So we want to go to one and we want to win one. And so, yeah, um, yeah I think they that's all know it's a great experience. Any bowl game is a fun experience, but you know, any kid doesn't want, the only ones that wouldn't want to go. And I used to worry about this or think it was bad, but when you got one, it's almost definitely going to get drafted. He's in his last year. You know, they don't want to play in a bowl game. It's not going to have any implications for the ranking of the team or championship or something. You almost understand that. It's just like all the other things we're talking about. The money in pro football now, if that kid jeopardizes that, I mean, it's like it's like jeopardizing your degree, your medical degree or something, you know. You, you, you just have to make some decisions. It may not be appealing to a lot of people, but it's just common sense. You got to go. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll see about that this year. If Auburn goes, it was, it was their all American safety was one of the guys saying yesterday that he really wants to go. So that doesn't sound like he wants to opt out if they, if they end up going, but um, yeah, obviously they've got to get back on track this weekend. We'll see if they're able to do that against Mississippi state. Ellis, thank you so much for being here as always. Thank you to everybody for listening to the show today go out leave us five star review that's the number one thing that helps us we'll catch you guys later in the week everybody enjoy the rest of your day Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.